look at Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. I mean, if you read your Bible and look at it, you will understand that Genesis chapter 4 is an interesting story. Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 7. And I want you to please read along with me Genesis 4, 1 to 7. And the Bible says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and there came. And she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bore his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a killer of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Verse 4, And Abel, he also brought of the first leaves of his flock and of the staff thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and unto his offering. Verse 5, but unto Cain and unto his offering he had no respect. And Cain was wrath, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wrath? Wrath for I mean for you for your permission needs to be annoyed. And why is your countenance falling? If you do well, if thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou dwellest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. This morning, by the special grace of God, I want to talk to you briefly on a subject that I titled, Who is Knocking at Your Door? Of course, I know whenever you talk about knocking, we remember the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7. That ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, that knock and the door shall be opened unto you. I also know that majority of us, you remember Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, where Jesus Christ said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will stop with him and I will deal with him. If you read your Bible a little bit more in depth, you remember the Bible says he told them also a story, a parable. And he said a friend visited his friend that night. And that it kept on knocking until the door was opened. So in each of those areas, we find different people are knocking on different doors. But brethren, either you like it or not, every single day of your life, there are things that are knocking on your door. 
Your life, unfortunately, becomes a sum total of every one of those things that you open the door for. And so, in looking at this subject, I want to take us back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us that the snake came knocking on the door of Eve. In Numbers chapter 13, the Bible says an, an enemy came knocking in the camp of the Israelites. <laughs> what are you supposed to do when people knock? I will be able to talk about two things, and if I have time, by God's grace, I'll give you a third one. But as you ask yourself, then you are, you wonder. Every day of my life, what is knocking at my door? First Kings chapter thirteen. The Bible tells the story of a young prophet. It's one of those stories that when you read, you cry. God told the young prophet what to do. God told him what not to do. Somebody else came knocking. And he rather preferred to open the door for that person and let God out and that person in. Brother, you may think it doesn't happen to you. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, and that will bring me to my first point. The Bible says the same word that was preached to us was preached to them. But the Bible says that the word did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. When you read the story of Cain, God told him specifically, if you do well, you will be accepted. God was telling him a way out. But Cain did not listen. And whenever you don't listen to the word of God, it's called unbelief. But then the first thing that knocks on the door of the man that tries to discredit the word of God in that man's life is something we call unbelief. Unbelief is a visitor. Sometimes it comes and goes. Sometimes it stays permanently. Sometimes it will show up in certain circumstances and not in others. You don't need to invite unbelief. Unbelief is something that invites himself wherever the word of God has been spoken. Unbelief is something that while you are excited about the word of God, your faith can suddenly be dampened. Unbelief is something that when you eventually open your door to, then you will find out that you are not doing well. Unbelief 
for all intents and purposes, is the backbone of most sin that people commit. Unbelief is what makes a man. Is what makes a man. Unbelief is what makes a man. Do things to hasten the process of God. Because the man will rather not believe God. And so this morning, this is one of those things that you ask yourself. Is unbelief knocking at my door? It is one thing that those of us at home should be asking ourselves. Is unbelief knocking at my door? But the problem with unbelief is that when he knocks, most of the time you don't even realize that he's knocking before you open the door. Unbelief is already inside your house most of the time by the time before you realize it. And if you permit me to use Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, unbelief itself says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And, I know. and that if any man hears my voice and allows me, unbelief, to come in, it says, I will be with him. I will eat with him. I will make him my friend. And if you allow me, I will stay there forever. Unbelief is like cancer. It is better you don't allow it in because once it is in, it is difficult. Let me give you some few characteristics of unbelief. Number one, unbelief is the bedrock of foundation of sin. Have you not noticed that when the serpent went to Eve, he said, did God say did God say, whenever the enemy wants to attack a man, he will first of all attack what he believes? Oh, God is good. The enemy will come. And say, is God really good? If God were good, why is this happening? Why is that happening? You say God is merciful. The enemy will come. That enemy is called unbelief. We say if God is really merciful, are these the signs of a man that is merciful? And so the first thing that you need to understand is that when you test your life and my life and the life of most of us, most of our sin lies on the foundation of unbelief. 
That is why the Bible says, whoever believes in him will not perish. Number two, unbelief is unfortunately the beginning of destruction. But let me tell you and let me warn you, unbelief does not kill a man in a day. Unbelief does not destroy or kill a man in a day. Remember the story of Noah. <laughs> when Noah told them that God has told me to build an ark, I can imagine every day when they pass, they will point their finger. They will laugh. How can God tell you to build an ark? Unbelief killed that generation. Oh, now we are in this generation. Somebody is told so that, that there is no hell, there is no heaven. Unbelief is the first step that people are taking on their journey to hell. Unbelief, brethren, is what will make a man to doubt the word of God. Somebody was joking the other time. He said, if there is a heaven, then it means for people like me, the earth will be the only hell I will ever know. He said, but then, if there is a heaven, that there are some people that this earth will be the only heaven they will Now, ask yourself, when you look around you, <laughs> does this place look like heaven? How many of you want to stay in this place forever? Before you know what is happening, there is earthquake. Before you say that Robinson, there is cyclone. But then, let this part of the universe be the only hell that you ever know. Number three. Number three. Unbelief keeps a man in a pathetic state. In a pathetic state. <laughs> in a pathetic state. Praise the Lord. Unbelief keeps. <laughs> ah, I need to brush up my face. My problem is that now I, I try to learn so many languages, so I find myself combining languages here and there. Amen. Now, unbelief keeps a man in a sorry state. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. You will notice there that the Bible says that a man came to Jesus and he was praying that Jesus will help him. Oh, actually, Mark chapter 9. Sorry, Mark chapter 9. And then Jesus Christ said that if you can believe all things, if you can believe all things are possible to him that believes. And the Bible says that the father with tears in his eyes began to cry. 
It is Lord. Now I believe. Help my unbelief. Unbelief keeps a person in a pathetic, sorry state. Number four. And this is where most of us then need a lot of prayers and a lot of counsel. Unbelief makes us to do unbelievable things. Unbelief makes us to do unbelievable things. When the Bible says that you will be the head and not the tail. And it seems that God is taking land. So you keep yourself, you keep, you keep your way to the top. What you are saying is that God, I don't trust you to take me to step. When you lie, you are saying that you don't believe that God can get you out of the mess that you have created. You know, when you take the Ten Commandments, there's one of them, there are the two of them that say, that are not committed adultery, that are not steal, that are not steal. But because with your own eyes, you are seeing that somebody is progressing faster than you, so with your mouth, you bring them down. Because you are beginning to doubt that God can take you to where God can take you. When you complain, you are saying that you don't believe that God is doing enough. When you convert, Remember that last commandment that are not convert. When you convert, you are saying that God is not here. You are saying that God, if you are God, I should be better than this person. When you convert, you are saying that God has not given you the best. But then, when you, when you look at yourself in the mirror, when you regard, regard yourself in, in the mirror, and you speak down to yourself. Now, listen to this very well. When you speak down to yourself, you are saying that God, I don't believe you are a good creator. If the Bible says that you are wonderfully and what? You are fully made. With a lot of details. And yes, you look at your mirror and you tell God, I don't like what I see. I don't think there's any investment that you can give a manufacturer that to say that his product is poor. I don't know about you. I believe I am the best that God wanted to create. 
I don't know about you. I believe that if I was born, God already made a way for me. All I have to do is to find that way and walk in it. That's why the Bible says you shall hear a voice behind you saying what? This is the way. Walk in it. So if the Bible already says that, then if you believe God, your prayer should be God, let me find the way. Are we together? If you find the way, that as you don't depart from the way, that way will invariably take you to wherever God made the way to go. But it is unbelief that makes the man jump out of the express way of God. In the, in the, in the desire of taking a shortcut. You can ask Abraham. Because I know one of the prayers you pray is that God do it now. <laughs> Abraham waited extra how many years? Now tell me, how many years did he wait extra? <laughs> oh, Abraham had to wait for more than 14 years extra, remember? Just because he moved out of the expression of God. Brethren, unbelief is a cancer. Don't allow it in your life at all. Unbelief will never profit a man. Unbelief is something that when God sees, God looks at it and says, Have I lost credibility? Okay, I was thinking about it. How does unbelief develop? But then, me and you have no reason to doubt God. Because unbelief develops when there are broken promises. If you are a father, you are a mother, you are a husband, you are a wife, and you constantly break your promises, the next time you make them, people won't believe you. But the Bible summarizes the character of God. He says, God is not a man that will lie. So if God is not a man that will lie, it means that man lies. But God has different in that he can never lie. Your problem is so small that God does not need to lie about it. This is, a, this is somebody that brought uh, this and loaf and sent 5,000. This is somebody that raised up a man that has been dead for how many days? And yet, you have a problem. To God, that problem is small. If only you believe it. 
Unbelief before the enemy can come. Because somebody has a character flaw. But the Bible says, be thou perfect. Are you ready for that perfect? God does not have a character flaw. God is perfect. And the words of a perfect man are perfect. And once that word goes, the Bible says that the word never returns unto him. That the word will accomplish that for which it was said. But then, is God good at his word? Yes. Is God good in his character? Yes. If God is good at his word and in his character, then here you have no reason to doubt God. Why do you ever ask your question, why does God keep his word? Why does God keep his word? Number one is in his character. But I will tell you some other reason why God keeps his word. It is because it is difficult to distinguish between a broken promise and a lie. Let me give you an example. If I told you that I will come to your house today, and I don't come, how do you know if I ever had intention of coming? Are, are you following me? I could have lied to you that I was going to come, right? Or it could be that I wanted to come, but I couldn't come and I broke my promise. Because there is no way of distinguishing those two. Anytime that God needs to change his word, he will tell you. Let me give you one example. First Samuel chapter 2. When God was talking to Eli, God said, Before, I said, You and your family will stand before me forever. He said, But because of what you have done, he said, Now I'm changing that word and I'm telling you. He said, Far be it. He said, Far be it. It won't happen again. And so be careful, brethren. When the word of God that has been sent to you is being questioned, when unbelief begins to knock and say, Did God say? Did God mean? Did God really want? Unbelief will lead to disobedience. Disobedience is sin. And it takes you to wherever you don't want to go. Number two. What is the second thing that knocks on your door? That you want to be extremely careful not to open the door for? In the story of Cain, and by the way, you'll find this also in the story of the Spirit. Let me read it to you. In the story of Cain, Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. No, no, but verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. 
Okay, no. Let me read that now. <laughs> and the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Now, if you know God very well, what do you think God is trying to do with Cain here? God is giving him an opportunity to come clean. Is that not? God is giving him an opportunity to repent. God is giving him an opportunity to accept that he made a mistake. Do we agree? Now, what did he say? He said, I don't know. Ask yourself. When Cain killed Obel, was he not the one that buried him in church? Right? Did he know where the body was or not? But now he tells God, I don't know. <laughs> then why is that come to me? Am I? Then, then, the second thing that I'm not for your door, you have to be careful, is something called pride. It takes pride for God to ask you for your brother, and then you ask God. You expect me to be looking after him? You know, one day I was reading this passage. And I thought to myself, there is no vocabulary I can use to describe things. According to culture, according to culture, the senior brother looks after the junior. Is that not what we know? According to culture, the parents are less assured that the firstborn will look after the other. So in reality, is he his brother's keeper or not? He is. But because God accepted Abel and not him, he had made up his mind to eliminate Abel. But then pride can kill. Pride is something that is very difficult to define. But it can be defined as excessive self-consciousness and regard. Pride is when you get annoyed that you came to church and people did not notice you came. It's pride. Pride is when you get to a bad dream and you want everything to revolve around you. It's pride. All that came to life said here is not that I'm sorry. You know, it doesn't matter what you say about David. I personally, I hold David in the highest esteem. You know, when God wants to humble a man sometimes, God will not, God will send people that are below that man, so to say to him. 
you can imagine when they had a committee of kings. At that time, in, at that time, there was no king like David. In fact, I can tell you that there was no king that could talk to David. If you spoke to David at that time, David would annex your kingdom to him. Oh, God bless David. He was a man of war. If David happens to like your wife, it can be because of your wife. Run over your own country. But God said, a prophet. Called Nathan. And Nathan comes. And said, Oh, King. I know you don't like anybody who likes to be cheated. I know you are a man that stands for the truth. I know you are a man that stands for justice. I know you are a man that fights for the common man. He said, but I have a problem. And then he told him a story. Go and read that passage very well. He did not read the story when David brought it out. He said, that man must die. And to today, I still wonder how Nathan had the audacity to point his finger. He pointed to him. He said, okay. You are that man. And he may show of humility. Without going back and forth. Without explaining why. David said, I have seen Immediately, Nathan said, He said, It is true that you have sinned. He said, But because God knows your heart, He has already forgiven you. What did David do that came did not do? He humbled himself and he acknowledged that he has sinned. That is why you will see that David's word is that my sin is ever before me. But then let me tell you the truth. If you are constantly in denial, it's a sign of pride. If something is under somebody else's fault, it is a sign of pride. Occasionally. And I thank God for the ministry that God has given us. Occasionally, when people come to me to report to their children, husband, wife, mother-in-law, whatever, you can notice that during the story, they are pointing the finger at the other person. Oh, my children do this. Oh, my parents do this. Oh, my husband does this. Oh, my wife does this. Oh, occasionally, in my mind, I'm thinking, then what do you do? Because everybody else is the one doing something, right? Then what do you yourself do? The Bible says that God resists the pride. 
Modern saying sorry is a sign of humility. One of the things that I read the most in scripture is the story of the prodigal son. And I keep asking Christians, I keep asking Christians all the time. From what I know of the church, a lot of us can be like the young man and say, I will arrive and I will go to my father. And then when I get to him, I will say, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer what to be called your son. Please make me one of your servants. That was the speech that was rehearsed, right? But then, if we take it away, the Bible says immediately he got there. His father saw him coming. His father ran and embraced him. Remember the story? If it was somebody from the church from today, if you came to embrace me, you have forgotten, I don't need to tell him again. He said, let me continue. Uh, it's valid to me now. You have forgotten about it. But the Bible says the boy took back his father and listened. And said, Father, listen, listen. When I left, I left in pride. I have come back with humility. So I have sinned. Ah, the father said, don't bother to say it. But then let the other party be the one to tell you not to say it. When the door of pride is knocking, you better be careful. It keeps you in the sin. Because you cannot repent before man, you cannot repent before God. It was pride that did not allow Cain to repent. In fact, it was pride that did not allow Adam and Eve to repent. What they lost in pride, uh, Jesus brought back in humility. Because the Bible says, for he humbled himself. Don't think that when they use those words in scripture, don't think that it was a mistake. The Bible says you humbled because the first man lost it because of Christ. Out of Christ. Herod promised a small girl. Yeah, come on down. And anything you like, even to half of my kingdom. <laughs> and the Bible says the girl died. And after she died, she consulted. And then he said, We want the head of John the Baptist. The kings will have said, I made a mistake. The kings will have said, That is not involved the head of another man. 
but he preferred the praise of men to the praise of God. And so even though the Bible says he was sorry, the blood of John the Baptist is still on the cross. But then when you make a commitment that is going to affect somebody negatively, you better ask for mercy and change it. He says, humility to say, now I know better. Are we together? He says, humility to say, once I was a child, I understood as a child, I spoke as a child, I, I did everything as a child. But now, I have changed the way I used to be. Because I understand better. Because I know better. He doesn't remove anything from you. Especially when it comes to things of God. Before you were born, God was there. That is why the Bible calls him the ancient of days. If Jesus does not come before you die, God will still be there. And the Bible says that the glory of the youth is their strength. What is the glory of the, of the old man? Is that right here that is supposed to be synonymous with wisdom? So whatever you do, God is wiser than you. And so when that God then says, we will confess our sins. It is faithful and just. It is because the Bible knows that you will sin. Because the Bible knows that you will listen and open the door for unbelief. It is because the Bible knows that that spirit of pride within you is a struggle. And so he says, if we confess our sins, that is faithful and just. Brethren, there is nothing as simple as confession of sin. Will you rather pay for your sin with your finger? Or will you rather pay? I, no, I was reading the other time. <laughs> the Bible says that uh, if a man mistakenly makes a pregnant woman to lose the baby, you know the, you know the part of scripture. <laughs> that in all of you quote, that's where it comes from. He said, for an eye, for an eye. The other time I was thinking about that passage. <laughs> God forbid, you mistakenly make a pregnant woman to lose a baby. Then they come and also say, mistakenly make a wife to lose a baby. That is an eye. For God and God is faithful. I said, God is faithful. Let me tell you one or two things and then I will close. One of the greatest personalities of Scripture, my good, my good old friend Samson, every word that Samson said, every word was about him. Oh, I have seen a woman. Oh, this is what I want. 
Even when they remove the eyes. The Bible says that something says, I will go out like before. And then it is only so much for God. The Bible says he did not know that God had left him. It is so much for God to endure with a man. And as you noticed that when something, when they brought something again, when they brought him and all the heads of the Philistines were there, you remember that part? I went back and I read it again. He said, God, thank you, you one more time that I might avenge my eyes. It has nothing to do with God. I might avenge my own eyes. And the Bible says, you stood between the pillars. And he avenged his eyes. The God walking through him made sure that in avenging his eyes, God also capitalized on it. Dead <laughs> and pride does not take a man anywhere. So ask yourself then this question this morning. Who is knocking at your door? Is it sin? Is it unbelief? Is it pride? Is it the word of God? Is it Jesus himself? What are you constantly thinking about? Are you constantly thinking about yourself? Or are you constantly thinking about God, what God will have you do? What are you constantly doing? Like I said this morning, if you audit your time, do you find all your time is spent on yourself? But then, if everybody was to spend their time on themselves, even your life will not be what it is today. It takes somebody to go out of their way to give you information. In fact, let me tell you the truth. Most of the information that has demonstrated in your life, you did not find it, people told you. Now you are in a position you don't want to tell anybody. If I tell them, they will be better than me. That's why you can go and listen to that my message. If everybody, if everybody was like you, then. So, brethren, don't open the door for pride. Don't open the door for unbelief. Jesus is standing at the door himself. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Let me tell you the old truth, brethren. If Jesus is eating in your house, unbelief will not have opportunity to come in and eat. If Jesus is eating in your house, pride will not have the opportunity because Jesus is not proud. If Jesus is eating in your house, anger will not have opportunity. If Jesus is eating in your house, you can't even think of eating anybody. 
you were talking about it this morning. When Jesus went to Zacchaeus house to eat, without preaching, without preaching, Zacchaeus stood up. He said, Oh, everything that has got you wrong, open me, open me, not. How many of you can openly say that everything you have today that you got too sweat? So you're like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood up and said, "If I've ever cheated anybody out of anything, he said I will return it." Because Jesus was in the house. But then, is Jesus in your house? Or are you still keeping him outside, knocking for the past one year? Or maybe, maybe, you have compartmentalized your house. You allow Jesus to come into the sitting room. But you don't want Jesus in the kitchen. You don't want Jesus in the bedroom. You don't want Jesus in other part of the house. Uh, but because Jesus is a gentleman, he will never force himself to go to where he's not invited. Let them be like Joshua. That as for me and my house, I will allow Jesus a free hand in my house. Let us stand on our feet. Let us stand on our feet. Let them who is knocking at your door. Lift up your voice and begin to talk to him. Lift up your voice and begin to talk to him this morning.